so I would not stay away from OA through any feeling of discouragement or shame. It's just the place you should be. Why don't you try just as a member? You don't have to carry the whole OA on your back. You know. It is not always the quantity of good things that you do. It is also the quality that counts. Above all, take it one day at a time. Amen. <laughs> Our first speaker is Tony from Playa del Rey. It looks like play and something. Who <laughs> will speak for 25 minutes. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm a compulsive reader. And it's really good to be here. Um, it is. I think the best way for me to talk about uh, this business of slips is just to give you, well, really just to tell you who I am, what it was like, what happened, and uh, what it's like now. Uh, I've been a compulsive overeater all my life, you know, from, from, from day one. Um, it's chronic with me. I have no memories at all of not being obsessed with food, I mean, even as a little kid. Uh, you know, I had the pleasure of being a chubby little kid and all the name calling and all the hurt that goes with that. Um, you know, I hid food at a young age. Um, yeah, I did. I never went to a prom uh, in high school. And in the midst of all this eating, I had periods of, of, of being thin. And in those periods of being thin, uh, which lasted maybe, you know, nanoseconds, um, I thought I was fixed. I thought I was cured. I thought food was no longer a problem. And what I realized, you know, looking back on all that, is that I had no understanding of what, what was going on in me. You know, I didn't understand as a kid why I went to the, to the drugstore, bought a pound of M&Ms, and came home and hid them in my, under my bed. You know, by the age of nine, I was given diet pills because I was a project. I was my family's project. Um, they wanted to have me be thin. Now, they themselves were a little bit to the chubby side, but they were going to fix me, and uh, I was the baby. And um, so I was taking speed at the age of nine. And I figured I would get the job done fast, so I took two pills at a time and about drove myself nuts. So anyhow, uh, that's not healthy. Um, but I had no understanding. I didn't get it. I just flat out didn't understand what was happening to me. Uh, food called to me. I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know it. And I never binged on carrots and celery. It was always something that, that, that had that S word in it. And uh, I didn't realize that I was an addict when it came to that. I had no clue. Um, and I want you to know that I'm the best dieter in the world. I really am. When I set my mind to it, I've got willpower that could, you know, kill a horse. And um, when I get it, that, that thought in my mind, you know, I, I'll lose that weight. And by the way, um, I maintain an 80-pound weight loss. Um, and I'm happy about that. But here's the deal. I've done that three or four times in my life. And that's a big number. So I am a hundred pounder, you know, if you multiply it. And um, what you think you'd do that once and you'd be so happy, but you know better than that. Um, we are happy, but it doesn't fix us. That's not enough. Um, also, I've been in the program this time, let's see, uh, almost almost four years. September 24th will be my fourth, my fourth birthday here in L.A. this time. Um, 
So anyhow, I ate, and I ate a lot. Uh, you know, as a young adult, you know, I didn't get promotions for jobs. I was told, you know, behind closed doors, no, I will not give you that promotion because you're too, you know, you're too fat. Um, and my self-esteem was someplace close to being non-existent. I didn't have self-esteem. So it wasn't about getting self-esteem back in this program. It was about getting it for the first time. So anyhow, I think I've given you enough information on the fact that I am indeed a, a, a compulsive overeater. I went to my very first OA meeting, and the woman who led that meeting, I think this is what happened, talked about Al-Anon. So I had no clue why she was there, and I had no clue why I was there. And I left that meeting and never went back for four years. After four years, when I, when I made that phone call and I went back to an OA meeting, I knew I was home because I met all of you, and you understood what my life was like and how I was just totally driven by food. Um, and I by the third meeting had a sponsor and I was working the steps and I started one more time, you know, on that. I had a food plan and someone gave it to me, you know, the first night and I followed it. And um and I stayed in the program and my life got uh got normal. Um and I met Mr. Wonderful and my wedding day was my fourth my fourth OA birthday, and I basically said adios because I had gotten the prize, and um, and I didn't realize it just then, but I had already started really leaving the program. And what happened was, is I went out and I gained 40 of those pounds back, and I came back to the program, and I stayed for a short time, and then lo and behold, the wind shifted, and I took off again. So this is my third time. So let's get real clear about that. Uh, this is my third time. And when I came back this time, it took a while for me to find a sponsor because everybody that I asked was full. And lo and behold, through a series of events, I did get a sponsor and I began working the steps. And something shifted in my mind. I think what happened was was that I had proof. I had proof, pain, bruises that I wasn't fixed. And when they talked about in the program, they talked about the fact that, well, when you read the big book, and they talk about the fact that... Um, you know, those obsessions never go away. You know, uh, Bill says in, in the book that, um, you know, it just doesn't happen. And I lived it. I lived it. So let me tell you what happened, though, what it was like whenever I, when I was upside down, when I was uh, in one of my recesses, as I'll call it, from the program. Um, you know, in this reading it says, you know, about this foot business, I would not be too discouraged. I was. I was terribly discouraged. I mean, my chin was dragging on the ground. I'm not happy when I can possibly overeat. You know, because if you're like me, you know, you start, it starts with just that one bite, and then that thing happens where you take the second and the third, and then, of course, we jump on the scale, and then there's like a two-pound weight gain. I mean, I don't know if you can relate to this or not, and then suddenly that two pounds turns to five, and then it's ten, and it's twenty. I mean, losing twenty pounds is like, that's not even being overweight, you know, because my weight has always been 40, 50, 80 pounds. So, so I was incredibly, incredibly discouraged. So I guess really what I'm saying here is that Bill has a message that I didn't hear when I wasn't, when I wasn't. I left. Okay, when I had my slips, I didn't do what this reading is about. I didn't, I didn't stay in the program room. I left. Um, I left. Um, you know, it was on here to say that, you know, we shouldn't feel needless guilt. I did feel guilt, and I felt shame. 
just got to tell the truth about it. You know, defeat, guilt, and shame. And, um, you know, I did. And, and he also says here about, um, for some reason or other, the Lord has laid out tougher paths for some of us, and I guess you are treading, treading one of those. You know, I, I, for me, this is this is this is my story as it relates to the to the reading, and it's not saying that it's the way for you to do it. Uh, you know, I didn't come to to meetings any longer when I was binging any of those times. Um, so I fell back into that isolation, and I closed my ears to the message, and I closed my my. You know, I took my hand back from that link that we have in here for one person to grab a hold of another. I shut myself off from hearing the message. And I can see that in hindsight. So, my experience tells me if I can be of service today, it is to say to people who might be out there struggling, you know, you got to do what you got to do, and I believe that there's a path for each of us. But perhaps, well, obviously, you, you know, for any of you who are a little upside down right now, you know, you're, you're hanging out. You still have your hand out and you still have your ears open for, for the lifeline. And I had shut myself off from that. You know, but looking back on it, that's just the way my story had to be. And, um, you know, as it also says, um, you know, not, well, as I've come, come to find out, is that that's how I can be of service, is that I did come back and I'm back on the path. Um, I think that's really important to to um, to keep in mind because um, it never I never had a clue here as 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 the writing goes on to say that I didn't have to carry the whole burden of the program. Bill writes here, you know, he says again about you know not to have feelings of discouragement or shame, and he says about the program, it's just the place you should be. Why don't you try? just as a member. You don't have to carry the whole AA on your back, you know. Well, for me, the thought was that I had to be doing it right. And, um, you know, unbeknownst to me, I guess I was beginning to live some of those character defects. Even though I had a sponsor all the times that I was in the program, even though I worked the steps to the best of my abilities all the times that I was in the program, um, I don't believe that any of those other times that I had a connection with my humanness or your humanness or the fact that I was just one of God's kids and the fact that what was happening to me in here was really a gift and the fact that uh, the recovery truly was here. You know, I don't believe, and I didn't know it at the time, that um, that I had not accepted the first step, that I had not really come to grips with the fact that I I am an addict. Now, what I've never told you, I, I didn't know. So if you'd have talked to me any of those times before, I was always a shining star. But um, we do what we need to do. Um, I think the, the, the thing that really is inspiring about this writing is that um, none of us is expected here to do it perfectly. I mean, we know that. We always go around saying, it's a process. It's a, uh, what is it? We say, um, it's practice, not perfection, or it's a whatever progress not perfection yeah there we go and i guess in my own head i thought it was perfection and um i guess that i thought that i had to have if, if i didn't have the food part right that i didn't belong and that's not that's not the way that it really is 
Um, I've come, I've come to find that out. But the part that has a sweetness to me, and actually the part that is different for me this time, and what Bill ends this reading with, is that it's all just one day at a time. And what I've come to find out is that, um, and what, 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 with the information that I have now, and you know, with, with the experience that I had with working the steps the last time, is that all I have is today, and every day that I, I wake up, I have a contract, kind of. I have the 24 hours that's ahead of me. I don't have anything else. And yesterday, yeah, okay, I was absent, but it's today that I live in. And I don't have to worry about tomorrow or next week. It's really about, you know, this 24-hour period, and it's really important for me to do it one day at a time. Because when I do it one day at a time, it kind of takes my breath away, because every day I'm a, new, I'm a newbie. Every day I'm a newcomer. And... Um, I have the memories instilled in my head, maybe a little bit differently this time, because I'm also doing more service work with newcomers, um, of what it's like to be out there, uh, you know, that struggle and the pain. And I don't ever want to forget that. I think, unbeknownst to me, on, on some of the other times that I was in the program, I slam that door shut, and I really, you know, when I can no longer, or when I no longer had to go into stores and go to special departments, because I've had to shop in special departments all my life. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I couldn't even wear what the other kids wore because I had to go into, they called them the chubbette clothes. So as an adult, you know, when you, when, you, when you outgrow the size of the clothes on the rack, then you go into different departments. And it's hard for, for, it's hard, period, but it's hard when you're in your 20s, you know, when you're in your 30s and you're supposed to be dating and doing all kinds of things. And um, I don't know where I was going with that other than to say that um, that, that kind of stuff is always my life. Um, hmm. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, I don't. Other than the fact that, um, you know, that's the way it was. But, um, oh, I know. So when I, got, when I was here and I could, uh, you know, on, on these other times and I could go into the stores and I could go, you know, buy off the rack, um, well, that was a new experience. And suddenly, like, things that were such a burden weren't a burden anymore. And uh, I wanted to pass for a normie, I think, looking back on it. I wanted to, uh, you know, forget that, that food uh, did to me, well, it does unusual things. You know, what food does to me, certain kinds of foods, uh, you know, certainly isn't... Um, what it does to many people. Uh, you know, I have uh, an obsession, a mad love affair, a compulsion, and um, a never-ending love, I guess, for some kinds of things whenever I, when I, when I take them in. And um, really what happened for me, you know, this last time, um, what happened for me this last time is that when I started to work the steps, I did have an experience. I understood that that step one was about me. And I didn't have, I didn't, all my, all of my, uh, all of my defenses were down. And I realized that, uh, I read the book, the big book, and, uh, and I understood. I understood what that was about. Um, I understood what that was about, that that powerlessness. I had experienced that. You know, I had tried to, you know, put that whiskey in my milk one too many times, if you remember that part of the book. And it just doesn't work. And then whenever I went to step two, when I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, you know, I didn't question the insane part. I knew it. I mean, come on. I knew it. I mean, I've been a compulsive overeater all my life. I'm 53 years old. I don't need any more evidence. Good grief. I don't need any more. Um, 
But the thing that really was was the sensation for me was that um, there was going to be a higher power that could restore me to sanity. I didn't have to do it alone. And I think there was a physical shift in my body when that that thought resonated through me that I wasn't in it alone, that there was something way bigger that I didn't even have to understand that was going to help me with this and, 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 and had lifted this obsession from me and was going to, you know, guide me on a path. And then the other thing, too, is, you know, like, you, know you go to step three and, 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 and this business about turning my will and my life over to the care of, uh, of a higher power as I understand him to be. Um, you know, this is a great place. You get to make it up yourself. I mean, so suddenly there was this loving something out there, and I and I don't have to really know more than that that uh, that had me under its wing, and um, I wasn't alone. I knew I wasn't alone when I was with the fellowship, but this time there was a spiritual connection to something, and I wasn't alone. And I think that's one of the major shifts. In fact, I think it is. And um, and with that shift came this humility that. Um, I wasn't doing it. I basically have nothing to do with this except to show up. Now it's important for me to, you know, come to 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 places like this. It's important for me to go to regular meetings. It's important to me to talk to a sponsor. It's important for me to work with with sponsees. Um, and I don't know which of those things is helping me, so I have to do all of them because I don't know. I don't know how that puzzle fits together, but this time I don't fight it. So that's one of the differences. Uh, and then, of course, I work through the rest of the steps. And the other thing, too, that is different this time that uh, maybe you can identify with is that business about um, keeping every day clean and about uh, the resentments and about, um, you know, doing 10 steps. You know, that stuff works for me because what I found out this time, which I intellectually knew before, but this time I do, there's a big difference there, um, is that when I get into resentment, it's like uh, cancer inside my head, and it grows and grows and grows, and then it takes over everything about me, and any kind of a smile that I might have on my face, it disappears, and I can't get it back, because it's replaced with this, like, just, it's like I become possessed by this, like, yicky stuff that goes on and then I start acting out even way before I know that it's happening and um, then what really happens has been that, and it's, this has been pointed out to me on numerous occasions by, by um, a dear friend is that when I get into resentment it really hurts me it does zip to the other people but it hurts me and then one of the ways it can always hurt me is you know, I want to eat to make things go away. And um, so actively staying with the steps is also important for me now. So really, um, you know, in terms of this reading, you know, I, it, it leaves me with a sense of, you know, the program works if we work it in the only way to work it is to stay in contact with it, and the only way to stay in contact with, contact with it is to show up to the meetings to be with the people. And um, if I could impart a gift, it would be um, 
I'm proof positive that you can come back, come back, and come back, and I really don't want to come back anymore. This time I really want to stay. Um, so if you're thinking of leaving, don't go. And three cheers for you for 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 for, for sticking around if you're struggling right now. And um, don't do as I did. Um, do as Bill says. Bill, Bill knows way more than I'll ever know. And he says, when times are tough, don't build, but come back with your people. And um, it is only by participating in the program, it's only by sitting there um, and being close to people who, who, who have the program working in their life that I have any chance, really, of having it just continually, you know, come over me so that I get to keep it. Um, and, you know... I will say there's this one line here about the Lord had laid out tougher paths for some of us, and I guess you are treading on one. I'm going to really stress that for me, I can read that now and smile and go, ah, now that I'm back. But when I was out there, you know, um, I'm not going over the edge on that one because it kind of, it kind of, feels a little bit like there might have been a little singling out there. And um, I, I don't know that that's really what the case is. I think we just have a path that we're, we're placed on. And um, now that my eyes are open, I realize that the life that I led actually can be of service to other people. And my job is to, the biggest thing I can do, I heard this at a, at a, at a meeting, um, you know, the biggest thing that I can do in terms of making amends, of doing service work, of being a good OA participant is to stay abstinent and to keep showing up. And so I will say my prayers every day um, for you and for me that we just do that. So thanks for letting me share. Okay, our second speaker is Murray from Long Beach, and he will be speaking for 25 minutes. Good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Murray. I'm compulsive over here. Well, I think when I got here, I was very happy that Tony was the first speaker. And as she was getting into her pitch and her story, I became pissed. And, and it was the fact that uh, she was telling my story. And, and the second thing was it was being told by a woman. And, uh, and it's amazing. The, the parallelisms between path to, in her recovery, in her path, and mine. I mean, I grew up a fat kid. I grew up shopping in the husky department. I, I, I grew up with the taunts. I never went on a high school date or prom. Uh, I know that uh, my weight held me back at work. Um, I know that um, 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 I was in program about three years, got married, and thought that was the that was that was it, you know. Okay, you know, and you know, lost the weight, got a couple of promotions at work, and I mean, I was fixed. 
Okay? So there was no question that I was, you know, my shit did not stink at that point in time. And, and, uh, oh, it was, it was the path I was on. And, and I'll, I'll talk more about recovery in a bit, but I want to tell a little bit more about my story, I think, and, and, uh, <clears throat> and the timeline. Um, um, I, I first came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1980. I was 30 years old. And, uh, I lost a lot of weight, okay, and um, I'm going to connect this up later, I hope. And if I forget to talk about ego, your your assignment, Merle, is to remind me to talk about ego. Um, let's see. When I said my, my shit didn't stink and, you know, I'd lost a lot of weight and I was speaking all over the place in OA and... Um, and then life got in the way, and I don't know how else to say it. Uh, you know, the marriage uh, happened, and it uh, took time and effort and, uh, you know, work. You know, I let life get in front of me. They were just, you know, AA has a thing. Program first, work second, family third. And, and, it, and it emphasizes that because without program... You can't live a life, and without work, you can't take care of your family, and so that's the order. Now, you, you, you can say today somebody had a heart attack and i got to go to the hospital instead of a meeting. Mm, okay, you know, that might be all right. It's a one-day-at-a-time kind of thing. But but um, program has to come first in my life, and it does come first in my life today. I can't say that as the time wore on there that it did. Anyway, I had to go back out there. I did go back out there. I had to do uh, more research into compulsive overeating, and uh, and I think I can safely say that I got a Ph.D. in compulsive overeating. When, when my low weight in OA the first time I was, this was, you know, early 80s, 83 or so, maybe 84, I had a cup of coffee at about 235 pounds, and I and I was there for three minutes, okay, something like that, and uh, and I went back out there and gained nearly 500 pounds, and uh, and my path was not linear, okay, it was not linear. First. Uh, um, Things started going poorly at home, and I ended up in divorce behind uh, this disease. And uh, things at work started to, you know, I started getting shuffled to the side and stuff. And, and it was a lot of it was due to this disease. And, and my, what's the right word? Um, uh, it wasn't just the fact that I was fat. It was my actions and character defects that were coming out as well. Okay, so don't let me just say it was because of size. That that, that was not the truth. And um, anyway, I, I had three top weights. When I first came into Old Readers Anonymous, I weighed 586. And then I went back out there and I got up to 611 pounds and found a liquid diet and lost 250 pounds or some number like that. And, um, and then I went back out there and... Um, 
I got up to, so I don't remember the other top weight exactly, but it was like 650 or 647 or some number like that. It was like 649, somewhere up in there. And I went back on the liquid diet, and I, I did a better job at the liquid diet that time. I, I, I would do the liquid diet the five days during the week, and I would eat pizza all weekend. And uh, the truth is, that worked. All right? I lost weight. All right? Um, at least I lost weight on my body. Nothing. I didn't lose any weight you know, between my years. Um, um, and I found my way back to Overeaters Anonymous um, oh, four and a quarter years ago. And uh, I don't know. It saved my life. Uh, I'm in my mid-50s. Um, and uh, was having some health issues, and um, you know, Bill Bill talks as you might have guessed, we were given a subject to sort of speak to, and it was on page 11 as Bill sees it. Okay, and and, and so uh, we decided to read that before, before we got here, and and um, um, there, there are several things that struck me, and, and um, the first one was is uh, so I would not stay away from OA through any feeling of discouragement and shame. It's just a place you should meet. I did not come to that acceptance, okay? When I came back to Overeaters Anonymous, I was fairly certain that there would be a group conscious taken and I would be rejected for membership. And uh, that did not occur. There were people there from my first go-around, uh, several, I think there were four, and uh, and everyone welcomed me back with open arms. We all earned our seats here. We're not awarded a seat here. We earned our seats here, and, and I had certainly earned mine. And uh, um, I'm, I'm going to talk about ego in a minute. But uh, uh, be, because anyone that relapses, as I have relapsed. And, and I don't see. I can't say anyone, but anyone of like me who relapses, um, there there is a cycle of guilt, and I don't give a shit. Guilt, I don't give a shit. That's all. The only thing I can describe it, and and, and I didn't care that I was eating myself to death. I didn't care that. Um, my life was falling apart. I didn't care about anything but the relationship with the food. And that's what I had. That was the only basic relationship I had was the food. Maybe a little bit with TV. But, 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 but with food, that was the only relationship I had. And, and the way my, my eating went was, you know, drive through mom and pop places with big greasy burritos and stuff and, you know, you know, and uh, you don't get the 707 pounds by eating Weight Watchers dinners. Okay, it just doesn't happen. And and the part I wanted to relate to the bill was is when I came back, I had and with some health issues, I had the gift, and I heard this used, and I identified with it so much. I had the gift of desperation. And and the relapse 
got me to that. I don't believe you have to relapse to get there. I see lots of miserable people that aren't 707 pounds, and I see lots of people who want to improve the way they live their lives. And that's basically what I'm... I came here for the weight loss the first time, but it, it, it ruined me in some respects. I always knew at some level that recovery was here. I always knew at some level that it was my life, my character defects, and my ego that was uh, at the root of my compulsive overeating in general and my relapse. Now, when I came back, I, I, I sort of, I'm an, I'm an engineer, and I wanted to know why I relapsed. Now, I can't tell you I know definitively why I relapsed, but, you know, I go to therapy, and I've written a lot, and I work with my sponsor, and I don't know, but I know that my ego was in the middle of this, okay? I, I have trouble today qualifying, and I don't qualify when I pitch. I only qualify when I'm speaking, and I don't pass pictures around because everybody knows what I look like. I was fat, Okay? But I've got pictures, and I do look at them. I need to keep that desperation close at hand. I need to remember where I came from. Oh, oh I wanted to read this, because I've identified it with something Bill said somewhere in here. Okay. In every OA story, pain has... No, this isn't on page 11. This has got a great index, Okay. And it relates different things, and so there's like, instead of just page 11, there's like 19 pages that have to do with slips and relapse. This is on 291. In every OA story, pain has been the price of admission to into a new life. But this admission price purchased more than we expected. It led us to a measure of humility, which we soon discovered to be a healer of pain. We began to fear pain less and desire humility more than ever. And then I got this little note down there that says, my ego. I, I need some humility in this program, and, and, and I, I, I sometimes worry about speaking at all now, and I have to keep it in the framework of service, okay? And I need to hope that somebody today gets what Tony and I and the pictures they're going to talk about today and, 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 and it helps them get abstinence in their road to recovery because abstinence is the most important thing in my life today. This program and my abstinence is the most important thing, um, without exception. And, um, you know, that's sometimes a, a hard concept, without exception, okay? If one of my parents died tomorrow, I'm going to abstain. I know it's a one day at a time, but my experience with back-to-back -back abstinence, I, I, I feel in my gut that if the tragedy occurs, it will not be an excuse for me to eat. There is no excuse for me to eat, and um, I know what's out there. I do not have another recovery in me. I know there's another relapse in me, but I know there's not another recovery in me, and I'm, I, I don't want to go back to where I was. And um, I don't know, there's kind of a, you know, there's that 
relationship between ego and humility, um, and there's also the relationship with the past. And and it's you clear away the wreckage of your past, but you're still in touch with it. And you you level your ego to where you're humble, but it, it doesn't mean you're oppressed by it. And, and and all these are kind of balances in your li- in my life, and and I hope in everyone else's. But and and I I can't describe how I get there. I know it's through the program. I know it's through the twelve steps. I know it's through working with the sponsors and using the rest of the tools. Um, but it is it is something that I have to take on faith. I told you I was an engineer. I'm an engineer by education. I'm an engineer by trade. I'm engineered by the way I think. Um, the left half of the brain is dominant, and I usually I have to figure everything out before I believe it. I have to take it apart and put it back together. Hmm, I see how that fits. I can make that work. You can't do that with this. I can't do that with this program. That's where the faith part comes in. I see this program working in other people's lives. So if you're in relapse and trying to get back, Look at people like us and others who've been out there among us, among us the English and eating, and, and, and know that you can get back here and this program can work. It will work. There are plenty of examples here this weekend. Our, one of the competing meetings is the old-timers meeting. There's lots of recovery in that room. Uh, there's lots of recovery here everywhere. And um, how much time do I have? doesn't matter. I'm going to finish when I finish. Um, uh, the, the real thing is, 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 is join up. We, we, we want you on the road to recovery, and um, I don't know. I feel like, um, I feel like uh, there's, uh, there's, there's the one, another one of these dichotomies going with me. Is, is I want to say the perfect thing that will get the person that is in relapse to the perfect absence and all that kind of stuff, and the, and the other thing is to get the hell out of God's way. And and um, and, and I, I'm going to come down on the side to get the hell out of God's way, and I, I try to do that in my life and uh, in, cro- in relationships with other people and all that kind of stuff because... Uh, I am powerless, and I am powerless over food, and I am powerless over other people. I'm, I'm powerless over um, uh, a number of things in my life. And the quicker I get to that point, the quicker I stay on the road to recovery, and the quicker uh, I, I, I get to back to my abstinence. And um, the uh, the other thing about um, uh, relapse. Again, is that guilt, and Bill, Bill talked about it, and Tony talked about it, um, is that, let's see, he, he says uh, somewhere in, in the reading that, uh, that guilt is too strong, and it's maybe inappropriate. It's okay to have a healthy respect uh, and recognition for it, but guilt uh, is is not a healthy. It's a healthy respect for that relapse, and know that that is your disease, and it's your disease, and it's not you per se. You have a disease. If you had cancer and had a relapse, would you feel guilty about it? 
Now, you're going to feel bad about it, and you're going to take action on it, but that doesn't mean you have a guilt about it. So uh, it doesn't mean that you don't take action. It doesn't mean that you don't come to meetings. It doesn't mean that you don't work with a sponsor. It doesn't mean you don't use the rest of the tools. It doesn't mean that the solution is not in the 12 steps. What it means is um, that uh, you're powerless over your food in the same way one is powerless over any other disease. And once I got to some acceptance of that, this was not a willpower issue, that this was a disease issue, and, um, and that I could take action against that disease, and that my recovery is in these rooms as opposed to Cedars-Sinai, um, um, somehow that clicked. And maybe that's the logic of things. I don't know that I finally figured it out that made me take the next leap, leap, leap of faith that I don't absolutely have to know that radiation cures cancer and chemotherapy cures cancer and go figure that out. But if I didn't figure it out, I'd still take the medicine. And what I'm trying to say here is, is I take this medicine, that it is saving my life, it is saving my ass, and um, as long as I, as long as I, as long as I continue to practice the 12 steps, and as long as I continue to use the tools, I uh, I feel like uh, my abstinence will be maintained. And again, it is the most important thing. It's funny about abstinence, or at least my abstinence is funny. You know, about 90 odd percent of the time, let's say. 95% of the time, my my abstinence is not rote, but it is, um, and it's not easy, but it is uh, in a maintenance mode, and it's something I can, I can, but, but the other 5% of the time, it is rough as hell, and I got to pick up a tool and use a tool, and I have to uh, work my program harder during that 50% of the time, and sometimes I just get goddamn mad at the disease and say, you're not beating my ass, me and God are going to beat your ass. And and uh, getting angry, thank you, is uh, perhaps not the path I would recommend to everyone, but, but it, it seems to work for me from time to time, and, and it has to do with those particular situations where I'm at work and all they got is a sandwich that's full of mayonnaise and and uh, and chips and cookies and that's what's served for lunch and don't they know who I am you know and um, but uh, I'm not going to eat that cookie and I'm not going to eat those chips and and that's the way it works for me and I see we have a bag full of questions so I think I'll quit thank you Okay, we're now going to have 10 minutes of questions from the Ask It basket, so I'm going to kind of go through them a little bit first. Um, there's a note to me that if there are not enough questions in the Ask It basket, use the questions provided. I don't think we're going to need that. Um, okay, so I'm just going to pick one out. Tony, what specifically brought you back here to OA a third time? 
this is this is actually really interesting. What brought me back was that I was um, 48 years old, and I went for a physical. And the doctor said, "Geez, you're approaching 50. You're going to be really unhappy if you turn 50 and you're at this weight." He said, "You need to do something about it." So <laughs> I left. I came back the next year. He said, "You know, you're 49. You're approaching 50." You have no clue how unhappy you're going to be if you come back here without losing weight next year. So he went into his office and he came back with pages from the OA meeting directory, and he had circled the meetings that he wanted me to go to. And I thought, oh, I can't go back at 50 <laughs> if I haven't gone back to the program. And、um, That was it. That was it. So he is one of those few professionals out there that、uh, understands who we are and what we need. Basically, what got me back is, is there was an intervention done on me at work. I was、uh, I was missing a lot of work. It's just like they would do with an alcoholic. The first time they've done it with a compulsive overeater, I, I showed up for a meeting at my boss's office, struggling to get there. You understand?、Um, I showed up for a meeting at my boss's office, and there was a Uh, intervention specialist from HR and a、um, company had an on-staff um, um, psychologist who specialized in 12-step programs, and I was confronted, you know, and、um, and I don't know somehow it's like any other intervention for an alcoholic or a drug addict or a compulsive overeater.、Um, You know, I needed to get into a 12-step program. But as I said before, at some level, I always knew that I was going to get back here, and that was just the, the the thing that pushed me over the edge I'd been looking at for a long time. Most of these questions are directed just generally and not specifically to a speaker. So we do actually have a little time. So would you both be open to each of you answering? Okay. The next question is: What do you recommend for someone who has returned but still is having problems with program? What would you recommend for someone who has returned but still is having problems with program? Yeah, I think I think looking back on it, based on my experience,、um, I think it's I think it's a, it's well. There's a couple of things that come to mind. I think what Murray said is really important. Get a sponsor, you know, start working the steps.、Um, because for me, what I know what I know is that、uh, the heart the heart cleansing and the brain twist is how I like to put it. That Was necessary for me to really jump back into this program came about as a result of working the steps. You know, and in saying that,、uh, I also would would, would suggest that、uh, that you pray 
And I don't care. If you're having trouble with, with, with the God part, you can pray to the wind, doorknobs, dolphins, the group, whatever. Just as long as it's not you. I want to do a little follow-up to the last question. Those are the two most important things in my mind, going to meetings and getting a sponsor. Uh, you know, there's this um, uh, tail-biting argument or discussion in, in Old Readers Anonymous about what do you do? Do you get a good food plan? Do you do this? Do you do that? And then you work the steps, or do you work the steps and, and have a spiritual awakening and then get abstinence? You know, which way is the right way? Well, shit, just do anything. What you're doing isn't working, you know? If you end up with a, spon if you end up with a sponsor that, that, that kind of likes working the steps first, do that. If you end up with a sponsor that wants you to get you off your drug of choice first, do that. But what you're doing ain't working. And what I was doing wasn't working. I also personally believe I have to get off my drugs of choice before I can do things in a clear and manner. But I'm not saying the other way doesn't work, okay, because I do see recovery. People are around here 10 goddamn years before they get abstinence, okay? And, and that's a miracle in their path, and I think that's great, all right? But it takes 10 years for them to get that clarity, and they're working the steps the whole time, and this and that and the other thing. Um, anyway, that's it. Um, um, let's see, the question here was... How tall are you? <laughs> I think this one was meant for me, Tony. Yeah. I'm 6'4 and 5'8. That's how tall I am. Now, you didn't ask how much I weighed. I, I weigh 327 pounds. And you'll hear a lot of speakers this week that said their top weight was 325 pounds. And, and, and um, but the truth is, I feel like I'm in a healthy weight, and I'm a place where God wants me to be, and if he wants me to be smaller, he'll send me to a surgeon and cut some of this off, and, and I'll exercise more and firm it up, and, and if he decides to, that I can do with less food, then all that will happen, but that's God's time, not my time. Anything else you want, anything more you want to say about ego? I could go on, but it would it would inflate my ego. Uh, 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 yeah, right. Uh, unfortunately, I do feel like that sometimes, and um, um, I need humbling experiences and stuff like that. I mean, I I, I try to take um, service positions that you know aren't standing up kind of positions and and uh, things like that. Not that those aren't service, and but then it's my ego and I don't want to feed it And um, because it, it, you know, maybe I got twin tigers. You know, I have the tiger of compulsive overeating that I take out of the cage three times a day, but I also have a tiger of my ego, and I, and I, I want to keep that booger caged up as well, and I don't have to take him out. Um, I have to know he's there, and uh, I have to know that um, he can eat me alive, uh, literally, And um, uh, but I don't need to go there. This is for both of you. Do you ever have, do you ever have moments when you don't want to, 
Okay, I'll do this again. I, I think this question is actually coming from inside of me, so it's kind of hard to ask. Um, do you ever have those moments when you don't want to do program work? If so, how do you get through those times? Yes, yes. Yes, I have many times I don't want to do program work, and it's usually about 10 minutes before sponsors come over, if you want the truth. But uh, how do I get through it? Um, you know what? I just kind of suck it up and keep going. Because, you know, I mentioned before, I don't know what part of what I do is working for me. So I'm not going to change any of those parts. I'm just going to keep doing them all. And one of the parts is service work. And um, r right now I'm sponsoring. Actually, that's probably where I'm getting doing most of my service work. And I say this truly with great affection. Those women do more to keep me abstinent than they could ever imagine because I hear their story, I hear their struggles, I wipe their tears, and it just does something to it. Just it's the gift that we get back. I mean, it's in the big book a thousand times. You know, you know, when Bill wanted to go, he had a choice: do I go take a drink? Do I get on the phone and help a newcomer? And he went and. Um, Got on the phone, and you know that's that's what we do. Let's see. Sometimes it's that get mad thing, and um, um, let's see. Let's see. When I was at top weight, there was probably only two emotions that I had. One was great anger, and one was great self pity, and. Um, uh, and so uh, that anger is still not buried. It's still reasonably close to the surface, and and I, and it still comes up for me. And and I wish I had the the serene approach to those times that uh, many people in program do. But I, I don't I don't I don't really have that. I'm serene most of the time, but but. Um, but every once in a while, I'd like to meet my disease face on, you know, instead of him sneaking up behind me when I'm not looking. And um, and um, um, so the answer is I, I I I still keep in touch with that past, and I recognize where I was, and I know I do not want to go back there, and that I. I, I don't know that I have another recovery in me, and that makes me get back to program and do the frickin' assignment that was given me and get on with it. And then I want to agree 100% with what Tony says. In the morning, I get up and those sponsees call, and as sponsee calls at night, and I have those phone calls that recenter me every day because we recenter each other every day. And it's one day at a time, and um, working with others and getting to my meetings is, is what does it. I qualify for OA, but I have other compulsive actions, thoughts, like spending four hours a day on Craigslist. What do I do? Craigslist. Oh, that's job hunting and, I guess, shopping. So what do you do about other compulsions that are not necessarily eating compulsions? Okay, so 
as I as I look at this, I qualify for OA, but I have other compulsive. Okay, so I take it that I'm really boring. It always gets back to just working the steps. I mean, what I what I found what I have found for me is, and I'm going to make an assumption here that OA is your is your first and foremost compulsion. Maybe it's not. My life, my life experience has told me that when I work the steps, um, I have lots of opportunities to address other things that come up. Um, just working the steps, having the focus on OA, I've had a lot of opportunities for, um, for, uh, how do I want to say this, for, um, well, my need to, uh, in my case, for my need to um, control my family and have everything my way. I mean, I, 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 um, that might be getting off to a, to a character defect as, a, as opposed to uh, spending like bunches of hours. You said it was a computer program. Mm-hmm. Let me just take a deep breath here. Yeah, from working steps, period, I just get lots of opportunities to just see how all of my life comes together. Um, and when I work the, the program with an OA focus and I have a commitment to this program, then my time allotments start shifting because for me, I have to fit in meetings, I have to fit in service work, uh, I have to fit in calling a sponsor. so. Some of that, some of, in my case, some of my sloppiness with my time just automatically uh, straightens itself out. Plus, I have lots of opportunities, usually in that, that inventory, to really start looking at some of the other things that I do that cause me to shoot myself in the foot. So, um, I am boring because it all goes back to the steps for me. Ditto again uh, with a, a few uh, things that fit for me. Um, um, I think everyone that has a compulsive personality, this is my primary disease, is compulsive overeating. There are other people that have other primary diseases that come here as a secondary disease. Alcoholics get here often through the, I don't want to call it the back door, but, but, um, they earn their seats here even after they've been in working the steps in AA for many years. I got sober in AA in 1980, the same about the same time I came to OA the first time, and I've been able to put the plug in the jug, and it stayed there, okay? But I don't have to take the plug out of the jug three times a day in, in that program. But the point I was trying to make is is that um, the steps have to be worked on each compulsion, either individually or somehow wrapped together. I'm not, I don't have a methodology for it, but, but, uh, see, I, I talked to somebody on the phone last night that was having codependency problems with their mom and their dad and their sisters and their family of origin and, and my suggestion to them was is to write a first step about their powerlessness over their family, 
all right? You're giving them power. So write a first step and apply it to the family. And, and you can apply a first step to workaholism, which is one of my isms, is workaholism. But there are many, all right? And there are there's programs for just about everything. Let's, let's see. This program was not born out of AA, really. It came out of uh, Gamblers Anonymous. That's where Roseanne got this sucker from, okay? And, um, 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 I mean, the daddy of all of us is AA, of course, but, but the truth is, is that AA was going for three or four years before they had the steps, okay? And how did it work? It came from working with others. It was meetings and working with other alcoholics, and they were finding that was keeping them sober, okay? Now, did they start to apply the 12 steps then? Were they develop it the whole time? The answer is yes. And there were earlier versions of the steps and all that kind of stuff. But but it is it is taking the action and working with others and applying those steps to whatever the ism or compulsion is, I believe, and finding somebody you can relate to with that. Now, I have a, sp a new sponsee who was in... Uh, AA four or five years now, clean off of alcohol and uh, pills, and you know he's put on 70 pounds, okay. And his sponsor says you need to look at this, okay. And so he showed up in our doors. He qualifies though, and he earned his seat here. He just earned it in a little different path. We have one more question and about four minutes. So, um, what is the difference between OA and HAL? If you are a returnee, how do you get a food plan today since there is no gray sheet anymore? Okay, 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 okay. Another one of the I don't want to call it a debate, but one of those discussions in OA that goes on all the time. Um, let's see. I have, I see. The magic is not in the food plant. Alright? Now, having said that, it's not about the food. And having said that, it's all about the food. Okay? And, um, I, I, I'm a nuts and bolts kind of person. And, and, and I believe and I know for a fact that I have alcoholic foods. There are some foods that I can't eat like a gentleman. And there are some foods that I can most of the time eat like a gentleman. And there are foods that I can eat, I think, all the time. Although, although I have turned my skin orange from binging on carrots. Okay? So, so, um, um, Let's see, the specific question was what's the difference between how and Overeaters Anonymous. In Overeaters Anonymous, there is no set food plan. There uh, is a pamphlet called Give Me a Choice that has some suggested food plans. Uh, how is weighed and measured. Um, it's a low-fat, um, low-carb, higher-protein approach, and uh, they eat the same thing basically at every at, uh lunch at breakfast, lunch and dinner. And, and it's very structured and it's about the way the gray sheet was 
before I came into OA the first time, the gray sheep sort of disappeared in 75, 77, somewhere in that range. But, but again, the magic's not in the food. People have different, Overeaters Anonymous is, you know, find the food plan, work it out with a sponsor, work it out with a nutritionist, work it out with a doctor. The magic's not in the food plan. The magic's in the recovery and changing the way you live your life. And um, uh, the, the magic's not in the food plan. It's important for you to find out what you can eat, what you can't eat. Uh, I, I, and it, it's weird with me. It's weird that I can have that. I do eat bread. I eat cheese. I eat vegetables. I eat. I can eat all that stuff. But if you combine it together and make it a pizza, I can't eat that. Okay. And, and, and if you if you look. Uh, if I have a few nuts in a salad, that's okay. If I, I have raisins in my oatmeal, had that this morning. I have um, um, a little this, a little that. But if you combine it all together and make it into trail mix, I can't eat that. Okay? And, and, and so it's weird. And, and every overeater knows what they can't eat well. Okay? And it's like an alcoholic that periodically you may eat some foods okay for a while. But sooner or later, you go back out there with it. And that's the same thing as a periodic alcoholic, that for a little while they can eat, they can drink like a gentleman, and then sooner or later there's a binge. And you need, somehow you need to find those foods and identify them and abstain from them. And if that means going on a how-like uh, food plan, that's fine. People, I heard this morning in the first meeting about the rut, okay, that they were in, and they were on a house food plan. But, you know, i got my own ruts. Everybody's got their own ruts. Nine mornings out of ten, I eat a bowl of shredded wheat with a banana on it. You know, nine mornings out of ten. But, man, I feel like my day started good after I do that. I said too much. <laughs> okay, it's now time for open sharing. We have time for three shares. Um, if you already shared at another workshop, please give others a chance before you come forward. Limit your share to three minutes. Please stay on topic and sign the tape release form after your share. And I'll keep it right here. So who would like to share? Oh, um, <laughs> why don't you go first and then you, you next, okay? Hi, my name is Pam. I'm a compulsive overeater. I uh, first came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1984. I sobered up in '83, and um, it's been a yo-yo ride. It's been a yo-yo and a roller coaster ride. Um, I stayed in AA, and uh, I've been in and out of OA. I came to. Um, I quit smoking in '83, gained 100 pounds in a year, and. Um, I mean, it's been one thing after another. I heard one of the speakers recently, or at, maybe at a meeting recently, that she said, as soon as you stick one thing around a hole, another one will pop up. And she'll stick one over here and another one will pop up. Maybe it was somebody sharing. But that's pretty much how my life has gone. And I think um, I kind of gave up on myself as far as the weight um, a number of years back. And then I started planning about two years ago to um, do a career, a change in my career, and planning on um, traveling. And um, 
when I found out I had the opportunity to come to California, and several friends of mine had talked a lot about how OA was in California, because I felt like OA was dead where I was, and um, and it wasn't for me, you know. Um, but I started planning on coming here, and uh, I planned on coming to meetings when I came here. And so when I got here in, in the beginning of May, I started um, coming to meetings. And it's uh, the first time I got a sponsor in OA. So I have a sponsor right now. And up until about a week ago, I was calling, her, calling my food in every day. But, uh, you know, not to make excuses, but this is how quick things slip up is that um, I had to work some extra shifts to be able to get this weekend off so I could be here for the whole weekend. And so I would work 16 hours and then sleep. And so I went for like four days that I hadn't talked to her. And calling in my food, my food got all screwed up. Um, not that I overate or binge or anything like that, but it was just screwed up. And, I'm, and I've been really off balance for the last two days that I feel like I'm kind of getting uh, grounded again um, with all that, but I'm still abstinent since I got, got here to California. And, um, you know, as much hope as I've gained in Alcoholics Anonymous, I felt so hopeless as far as my overeating. And um, I feel hope again. <laughs> I feel so much hope being here. <laughs> and um, I'm so appreciative of all the recovery here in California and the meetings and the people that have opened their arms to me and people that have just handed me their phone numbers or call me and just all of those little things. And um, I've been carrying around my assignment for about two weeks now for some stuff to work on, and uh, and I'm going to schedule it, because <laughs> it's just, my life is so busy right now, and so full being here, it's like, okay, what do I do next? Do I go to a meeting, or do I sit down and write on this staff, or do I, you know, what do I do? So, anyway, it's working for me, and I just want to encourage everybody um, to just keep coming back. I'm not leaving this time. Y'all aren't going to run me out of here. I'm not going to run myself out of here. Thank you for letting me see it. I'm Trish. I'm an alcoholic. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm a compulsive old reader. I'm also an alcoholic. Uh, I came to OA in 1972 when it first came to the state of Washington. I um, had never even heard of 12-step programs before and ended up in this church basement someplace. And uh, I was very confused because they used all this alcoholic literature, but they talked about compulsions with food. I was close to 300 pounds, um, but weight had never stopped me from doing anything. I had a good marriage. I had a good life. I had kids. I, I had a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Um, but I drank on a daily basis. So I went to that, but I always knew food was my thing. Like Tony, I was addicted at nine years old. Um, I was one of 50 kids in America that in 1946 that tried preluding when it came to this country, which was a speed pill from a doctor. Um, that was the first long lasting appetite suppressant. And, you know, what I know today is I wasn't even a fat kid. I was, we have very tall, thin people in our family. We have short, stubby ones. 
and being good Irish Catholics, those people wanted to make sure we all either kind of fit in or looked alike or did something, and they thought my mother was just obsessed that I would be jumpy and short like well, her sister she didn't like. And um, <clears throat> I'm short and a little stocky, but anyway, I, what my story was about is that I stayed there from that first day. I got a sponsor. Um, they had what somebody talked about recently, the that Gracie thing. And how I did it, I don't know, but I did do it. But being the alcoholic I was, I always could find sick Al-Anons, you know, that weren't in recovery yet. And she was one of those. So I convinced her that I had a martini to just take the edge off because my mother lived with us and she was dying. And I just failed to tell her it was a jug on a regular basis. And I had it at my evening meal, which was a lie. But I did stick with that food plan, called it in every day, talked about my jug of martinis, and I, I went down to 140 pounds. I was a big deal in a way. I spoke. I did retreat. I, you know, I was it. And then um, <clears throat> Roseanne got into trouble or something. I can't even remember what happened. And there was this big thing. I said, the hell with this. I'm not doing this anymore. I got mad at the Catholic Church. You know, left that became a rebel with a cause, you know, and a drunk at the same time. And um, in 1977, I came to Alcoholics Anonymous off the streets of Seattle at 97 pounds out of the hospital. And, um, you know, what happened in 90 days, I, they dressed me up, they cleaned me up, and were going to take me to a dance because I needed socialization. And, you know, I looked in that full last mirror with that red hair flying and that black, you know, I had one of those little sleeveless sheet dresses and high heels, and I knew those outsides could fool anybody, but I was so sick on the inside. And I thought it was alcoholism, because now I was thin. I was thin for a long time. I had been thin for years now. And, you know, a little bit at a time, one day at a time, I did get recovery at that time in AA. I, after OA, I went in AA once in a while, didn't like it, and co-ed leave. And, uh, but that, something happened with that, that day, and I have over 28 years of um, recovery in that program. But what happened was that I, life got better. I, they, they were forcing me to eat. I was drinking something that wasn't called Insure, but something to keep put weight on me. And, you know, this is like, I've never had that before in my life. And so I did that. And um, and this is nobody's fault but my own. I mean, you know, eating became another crutch for me. Drinking wasn't an option. But food, it's there. And, you know, I never got arrested. Never got arrested for eating too much. Maybe should have, but never did. And so it went on, and denial set in, and I, and I kept thinking I could work the steps. If I could work the steps here, why couldn't I do it there? You know, I had to come back to OA. And I went to this OA meeting in Washington four years ago, and I didn't even, I didn't know what it was. I didn't recognize it. I, I don't even know what, the, they weren't talking about compulsive eating there. I don't know what it was, but it was crazy. And I thought, I can't come here again. I'll just stay where I am. And then the, uh, someone suggested how I went there, and that, oh, my God, that made the gray sheet Nazis look like, you know, they were, I don't know what, liberals. And so couldn't do that. But, you know, I came to Palm Springs 
five years ago, and last year, a year ago, January, I had a meeting in Palm Springs that is the most spiritual, wonderful meeting. It's every morning, well, it's just three days a week at 7 o'clock and one day at noon. And, I, you know, I've lost 57 pounds, and I am so grateful. But i got to keep remembering, this was my disease from birth. You know, they were feeding us. They put brandy on our gums so that we could tease right or not hurt, and they shoved a bottle or whatever in your mouth so you could get, and everything in my family is celebrated with food and alcohol. And some are drunks and some aren't, and some, but we're all got something, overeaters, you know, everything, and some, some of the compulsions we don't talk about. But you know, I was given me in these programs, and I'll go to whatever program I have to go to, it's because every day it seems another addiction comes up to me. And I think, Jesus, if I have to spend one more hour. But I'm so grateful I'm retired now and I can. So thank you. I'm grateful to be here. I was, this is the first conference I've been to in 25 years, so I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share. I'm Dave Eth, and I'm a possible reader. Um, I just wanted to share, because you're basically in this program. I came in in 88. I was cured. I was one, one of the chosen few. You want to get kiss my ring, touch my robe, how'd you get it, lose the weight? You know, you're the Pope. Um, but today I'm a man who's been in relapse. And back at the birthday party, I was given some advice from a gentleman who looked at my swollen ankles and said, you know, you might want to go see a doctor. So I did. That was, what, in February we had the birthday party? Anyway, it turned out I was diagnosed with Burkitt's lymphoma cancer which I went through treatment for and survived over the last four months. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is I'm supposed to talk about what's appropriate to me and my experience. And I thank you for what you shared today, because I've been struggling with the food and program and contempt after a lot of investigation. Toward OA. I'm pissed off at thin people. Um, I had a disease called cancer, and I didn't tell the doctor what to do. You know, if he had said jump out the window, I would have said, okay, Dr. Eisman, I'm on the way. And so today you reminded me that this is a disease. It's not my fault. And I said to the man when I was diagnosed, the, the doctor lady, in fact, who came in, the internist, who gave me the um, principal diagnosis, she was really tore up. I said, don't worry about it, Dr. Proffer. You didn't invent cancer. It's not your fault. Because she was bummed. You know, she had to tell me I might die. And so today when you reminded me this is a disease, because I'd forgotten, this is a disease. And I used to get up in front of the rooms and say, you know, just like if it was cancer, I couldn't tell the doctor how to mix my chemicals for my chemotherapy. When doctor put the methohextrate in the bottle, I didn't say, by the way, I want this much red and this much green, you know. He just said, I'm going to shoot you in your port cap and you're going to lay down and take it. And, you know, this program has that aspect. I've been rejecting it, resentful, um, a lot of contempt, a lot of judgment, which is what we old-timers get after about the 11th year. Um, I can't claim any abstinence outside of today. I've had days of sobriety, food sober. Um, I've been a Nazi and I've been a big book thumper all my time in program. But I certainly walked away with that attitude of arrogance and superiority. There's a great pamphlet that says, If God spoke to OA, wish we had it around. It says, Don't lay claim to anything that you only receive by virtue of my gift. That's what you admitted when you first came into OA. How helpless we are without each other. I don't know if I'm going to get it. And I, I appreciate it. As you said, what you're doing is not working. It's not working. But I walked through cancer, and I prayed, and I meditated, and I got through that. So why can't I do this? 